0: There we go. Holy is the Lamb. And the great glory is that's not the end of the story. Because of the holiness of the Lamb and the work of the Lamb, so we too are now what? Holy. Wonderful. Uh, Press Gillum, please turn off your cell phone. In honor of you, I'm taking off my watch. I don't know what that means. I just see preachers do it. (laughs) Well, we're talking about love, aren't we? Let's bring that first one up, Linda. What is love? You know, we talked last Friday night about the loss of love. But I want to get into what we're talking about. How do we define it? Somebody sent this to me. I got a kick out of this. Somebody asked a bunch of little kids what love means, and little Rebecca said this, Love is when my grandmother got arthritis. She couldn't bend over and paint her toenails anymore, so my grandfather does it for her all the time, even when his hands got arthritis too. Little Carl said, Love is when a girl puts on perfume and a boy puts on shaving cologne and they go out and smell each other. Laughter <laughs> uh, little Danny said this love is when my mommy makes coffee for my daddy and she takes a sip before giving it to him to make sure the taste is okay <laughs> little Emily says love is when you kiss all the time then when you get tired of kissing you still want to be together and you talk more my mommy and daddy are like that and they look gross when they kiss laughter Uh, Little Noel says, love is when you tell a guy you like his shirt and he wears it every day. I like this one. Little Tommy says, love is like a little old woman and a little old man who are still friends even after they know each other so well. Isn't that good? Little Elaine says, love is when mommy gives daddy the best piece of chicken. Amen. Isn't that a good one? (laughs) Oh, uh, little Karen, age seven. Love is when you love somebody and your eyelashes go up and down and little stars come out of you. <laughs> Don't you want to see that little girl when she gets to be about 20? <laughs> and my all time favorite love is when mommy sees daddy on the toilet and she doesn't think it's gross. <laughs> I just love little kids. I learned so much from my little kids. I remember just a few years back, I was on my way across the living room floor, and I think Morgan was about three, and she says, Daddy, where are you going? I said, I'm going to the bathroom. She said, Oh, Mommy's going to be so proud. Laughter So let's ask the question again. What is love? I mean, how do we define it? Linus, you know Linus from the Peanuts fame? He says love is a warm puppy. Uh, Allie McGraw and Ryan O'Neill in the movie Love Story said love means never having to say you're sorry. Do you remember Ryan O'Neill and Allie McGraw? We're getting old, aren't we? I made the mistake of using that illustration a few months back on a college campus. I said, you know, love. Love means never having to say you're sorry. And I got the old raccoon in the headlight thing. You know, they're all looking at me. I said, you know, Ryan O'Neill and Hallie McGraw. And they're all looking at me. And then this one man, young man, he raised his hand. and He says, what does that mean? <laughs> and I thought about it and I said, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, well, you know what? I got an idea. I, it was the product of the late 60s, hippie drug culture. And I think the only way you're ever going to understand it is if you're on drugs. <laughs> you know. You know? Hey, like, wow, dude, what's love? Well, wow, man, it's like, love means never having to say you're sorry. Far out. What is love? I prefer to say, as I study over the years, that love by its very nature defies defining. Any time you try to define it, it's going to lose something. It is too high, too grand, too glorious, too holy, too incredible to define. It's best left to be experienced, my friends. There are a lot of things like that that are best left to experience, best left undefined. Take, for example, a kiss. Let's define it. Two mouths exchanging tongues and salivic fluid. Wouldn't you rather experience it? (laughs) Well, let me put it to you this way. Would you rather define a kiss or would you rather have one? There you go. We could do without the definition, couldn't we? So it is with love. I don't want a definition of love, my friends. I want to experience it. Well, let's review where we are, what we saw the other night. We saw that man was created in love lived in love, birthed in love. He literally breathed love. Love was all he knew. Until that love was called into question when man believed the lie that God was holding out on him. And when that love was called into question, there was anger, which led to rebellion. Because you cannot rebel against love. It's impossible. Rebellion against love has to be justified. Rebellion is fueled by anger. It's only because the love was called into question. But when man believed that lie, he chose to rebel against love, separated himself from love, and he's been on a desperate search for love ever since. The problem, as we saw on Friday night, is that he's looking for love and life in all the wrong places. We saw from Romans chapter 1, verse 25, that man exchanged mirrors. Instead of worshiping the Creator in marvelous simplicity, all he had to do was love. Receive love and express love. That was all it was. Marvelous simplicity. Marvelous simplicity. He went to complexity as he worshipped the creation instead. And he exchanged mirrors. The original mirror in simplicity. Hey God, am I okay? Oh yeah, you're okay. Am I significant, God? You're made in my image. Of course you're okay. Am I love? Yes, you are love. Oh, that's why I created you. I hope you understand you can't deserve to be created. Have you ever thought about that? But he exchanged that mirror. He ate from the tree and now he became his own mirror. Am I okay? Oh. But he's not the only one who ate. Eve ate. Which means every other human being has now become your mirror. Am I okay? Am I okay? And we become puppets. Dancing at the hands of others. And who gave them the strings? We did. And it's not fair. It's not fair to us because we'll be used and abused at the hands of those others. It's not fair to them because no human being was ever designed to have that kind of authority and power over another human being. And we exchanged For the mirror of man and for the mirror of the material. Because that's part of creation also. Ecclesiastes summed it up. Augustine said this, The human soul created by God will only rest when it rests in God. The epitome of this, of course, is in the book of Ecclesiastes with Solomon. Solomon went after finding life in other than God with a tenacity. He tried to find life in wealth. He tried to find life in authority and power building huge kingdoms huge throne and of course he tried to find love in the sexual union he pursued wealth as his security instead of the security of god he pursued authority and power as his significance instead of the significance of being a child of the king of kings and he pursued sex instead of intimacy with god and there's the greatest one by the way I mean, can I be frank with you? (laughs) We're all adults here. The sexual union has the potential to be the greatest counterfeit intimacy on the face of the planet. I mean, we can speak frankly here, right? Based on your gender, you're either inside another human being or another human being is inside you and you are totally naked and it is intimate and it is powerful and it apart from god is addicting look at it look at solomon 700 wives 300 concubines or the other way around and when you've tasted all of that what did solomon say at the end he said it's all vanity There's only one thing and it's God. The heart of man screams, my friends, I was made for more than this. I found this quote from C.S. Lewis. Look at it. When I have tasted all this world has to offer and still remain dissatisfied, it is proof that I was made for more than this world. And so what I want to do today in our brief time this morning, brief time this morning, is turn to Luke 15. Luke 15. And not so much define love, but see a man who gets to experience it. We're going to see a man dissatisfied. We're going to see a man live his life without love. And this is a passage that I know will be instantly familiar to you as you turn there. You will see it. Even the unbelievers know this passage because it relates to their experience. And I think also because it is what they hope God is like. It's commonly known as the prodigal son. A very aptly defined phrase For what does prodigal mean? It means reckless. It means wasteful. It means lavish. And that certainly describes the boy, except there's a problem. And the problem is this. This passage is not about the boy. Look at Luke 15, verse 11. And let's read it together. Jesus, telling a parable, said this. There was a certain man who had a father and an elder brother. Is that what it says? It's not what it says. It doesn't say there was a certain man who had a father and a brother. It says there was a certain man who had two sons. So who's the subject of the sentence, my friends? It's the father, not the boy. The story is not about the boy, but about the father. And we're going to see this morning that he is a reckless father, a lavish father, a wasteful father, because he is a lavish lover and a reckless lover and indeed a wasteful lover. He is, in fact, my friends, a prodigal father. Isn't it just like man to take something that's all about God and make it all about himself? We heard Dr. Tim yesterday morning say this, it's not about you, it's all about God. I've got a good friend, Carl Cacadelis, and he says that all the time. It's his mantra, it's not about you, it's all about God. I believe that, don't you? But I I need to add to it a little. Though that is true, there is something that is more true. Listen, please. Listen, please. It is not about you. It's all about God. But because it is all about God, it is all about you. There's glory in that, my friends. And we're going to see it this morning. Let's stand in honor of our Father. Once again, and let's invite the Holy Spirit to be our teacher. We dare not go any further without him. Let's pray. Father, I look on your saints, my brothers and sisters. And Father, we desperately need to know your love. We saw the other night that no matter how well we know your love, there's more to know. There's not a one of us here who has arrived. So, Father, as we walk briefly through this passage, I pray that by the power of your Spirit, you would grant us the power of the Holy Spirit to break through our finite mind and understand the height, length, breadth, and depth of the love that you have for us in Christ Jesus. Holy Spirit, we invite you to be our teacher. May you find receptive hearts. For this we pray in Jesus' name. Let's all say it. Amen. All right, we're going to move very quickly through this, so try to keep up. First and foremost, we find the selfish son. Look at verses 12 and 13. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. And he divided unto him his living. And not many days after that, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into the country and there wasted his substance with riotous living. We start with the selfish son. The selfish son. Now, my friends, the only way you're going to understand selfishness is if you understand the theology of naked. There is a theology of naked. Did you know that? Remember what we said the other night? We're constantly going to go back to Genesis. Because if you don't understand the questions, you'll never understand the answer. You never understand the solution until you first understand the problem. There is a theology of naked. Naked is when you don't have any clothes on. Then there is naked. Now, naked... Is when you don't have any clothes on and you're doing what you're not supposed to be doing. And then there's buck naked. Now, buck naked is when you don't have any clothes on, you're doing what you're not supposed to be doing, and you get caught. Now, that's Adam. Adam was naked. Totally fine. GQ. Wonderful. And then what? He did what he wasn't supposed to do, and he became buck naked. He became consumed with himself instead of his God. And now it's all about me, and that's exactly what we see in the pages of this young man. He robs his father. Give me my inheritance now. I can't wait till you're dead. He's so self-oriented, he cannot see his father. There's no love there in this union. It's all about him, all about him, all about him. And he takes one-third of the family fortune, and please think about this. They run a business. They run a farm. And one-third of the assets are going to be taken away right now. And that farm still has to exist. This is total disregard for his family. When you have a man who's that selfish, you're going to find a man, secondly, who becomes very sinful. And that's what we have. We have a sinful son. In verse 13, what did he do? He took the money. He went to a far country. Why? Because you go far away when you're going to walk in sin. You don't want to be in the light. And there he wasted the money. And lived in riotous living. Now when you have somebody who's selfish and sinful, you're soon going to have somebody who's very sorry. Look at verse 14. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in the land, and he began to be in want. Put the car in park. Hold it. Did you just see what we read? What does it say? When he had spent all his money... Then a mighty famine came. Did you notice the order? First he spent all his money. Then came the mighty famine. It doesn't say there was a mighty famine. And then he spent all his money. Why does it not say that? Because if there had been a mighty famine, he wouldn't have spent all his money. I smell God. And because we smell God, we smell the goodness and the mercy of God. What does Psalm 23 say? Surely the goodness and mercy of God will what? Follow me. One of the worst translations I've ever seen in the Bible. Every single time that word follow is used in the Old Testament, it means to pursue diligently. Why then did translators, when they talk about the love of God, change it this one time From pursuing diligently to following after us. No, no, no. It's not that the love of God is going to follow you around. It's going to pursue you diligently. The love of God. This word was used in armies, pursuing armies. Seriously. Aggressively. Antagonistically, if you will. Please understand that about the love of God. It's tenacious. I love what my friend Malcolm Smith says. He says, God has two sheepdogs, and their name are goodness and mercy, and they nip at this boy's feet. And what it means is that goodness was I spent all my money, and then mercy was the famine came on the land. And so we've had a selfish son who becomes a sinful son, who becomes a very sorry son. And what's he going to become next? Well, the very smelly son. Look at verses 15 and 16. He had to survive, and so he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and that citizen sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would have filled his belly with pig food. By incidentally, that word was, when you study that word, what the food was, it was food that was only for animals. Not even the poor would eat it. But he would have eaten it if he could. But no one gave to him. He sells himself to a pig farmer to feed and care for the pigs every day, my friends, in the urine and in the excrement and starving, living like a man was never created to live, acting like an animal. I love what Major Ian Thomas once said when he heard that somebody said mankind acts like animals. He said, don't ever say a mankind acts like an animal. See, the issue is that mankind was originally intended to function by the Spirit with the Holy Spirit in intimate union guiding him. But mankind doesn't have instinct. Animals have instinct. He says, take the Spirit out of a man and man will live in the gutter. He said, but no self-respecting horse will ever get drunk and find itself in the gutter. Don't slam the animal world, my friends. They have what they needed. It's we who have what we don't need. And it's we who find ourselves living in ways that mankind was never created to live. Now, all of this I want you to understand was the glorious goodness and mercy of God. Because it's the goodness of God, Romans says, that leads to repentance. How many of you know that the goodness of God sometimes comes wrapped up in a very painful package? My friend says this, every hog that butted him was the finger of God. Go home. Go home. Every rumble in his belly was the voice of God saying, look where you are. Have you had enough yet? All intended to open the boy's eyes so that he could become finally the seeing son. Look at verse 17. And when he came to himself, I love that. When he opened his eyes and had a real good look, what did he say? How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare and I perish with hunger. There's a twofold revelation here in this verse, my friends, that you and I have got to see. First and foremost, he had a revelation of his father. My father is good. Even the hired servants have more than enough to eat. That is a very technical word there in the Greek, the hired servants. What would happen is on a big plantation type thing or farm, whatever you would have, you would have the the servants. These were the ones who lived there, functioned as part of the family, ate at the family table. And then there was this term called the hired servants. We would know them today as migrant workers, people who come in for the harvest. And then they're gone. And look what this father does. He cares for even those workers. Those workers that he has no intimate association with. He cares for them. He said, surely my father then will care for me. But then he also got a revelation of himself. He took a real good look at himself and he said, I perish with hunger. What really is happening here is he saw his need and how far he had fallen. And please understand, both of these are necessary. If you get a revelation of yourself and your needs but you do not get a revelation of your father, you will never go home. I wish the body of Christ could understand this. I hate with a passion the distorted perspective of who God is that is taught by so many in the church. I wish I could tell you how many people are in my office who fall into some particular sin, because, but because they don't understand the nature of God, they run from God instead of to Him. They don't understand Hebrews chapter 4, that you can come to God in the time of your greatest needs. When is the time of your greatest need? When you are right in the middle of sinning. And you can run into His arms. But they haven't understood that. They say things like, how could God ever love me again after what I've done? And so they sink deeper and deeper into sin. Please understand you must have a revelation of your Father so that you can run into His arms. And let me tell you this, the light of man is a 100,000 watt glaring light. The light of God is a gazillion watt light, but it is a soft light. A light softened by his love. And what happens is we get so focused on ourselves and what we've done that we can't see what he has done. I remember this little lady that was in my office once and she had just committed this horrible sin. And she was in my office and crying and weeping and saying something like this I'm so wretched. I'm so wicked. I'm so stupid. How could I have done such a thing? And I stopped her and I said, Can I ask you a question? How long have you had this pride problem? Pride? How can you say pride when I just told you how wicked and sinful and wretched a stop? You are so busy looking at what you've done, you cannot see what he has done. Oh, I'm so prideful! <laughs> And I heard the Lord from heaven say, Oy vey. He was Jewish. We need a revelation of ourselves and our need, but we also need a revelation of the Father or we'll never go home. Please understand, though, if you have a revelation of your father, but you don't have a revelation of yourself, you'll never go home because you won't see a need. There's a marvelous verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. The Apostle Paul said this, It's no big deal if you judge me, Corinthians. I don't judge myself. Oh, I have judged myself. But I do not pronounce myself acquitted. Because in that day there is one who will judge the secrets of my heart. What does that say? It says we don't know ourselves very well. We need the Holy Spirit to show us who we are. This boy has received that. He has seen a revelation of himself and his father and he heads home. Please note he heads home completely repentant. Look at verse 18. I will arise and go to my father and say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. Do you see any excuses? Do you see any rationalization? "Uh Ah, it's me. I did it. I was wrong, but I'm coming home. Please understand, though, it's an incomplete revelation. It's an Adamic mindset. Look at verse 19. I am no more worthy to be called your son, so make me as one of your hired servants. I am no longer worthy? Home in there. This boy betrays himself. No longer worthy? Why not? I have done so poorly. I have performed so poorly. Meaning what? I was worthy before. When I performed better. Do you see that? The boy is on a performance acceptance standard with his God, which is why he's missed it. In reality, he's no different than the elder brother who sought to earn love through performance too. The only difference was the elder son performed better. The elder son's performance kept him home with his father, but he didn't have a relationship with his father. They're both on a performance track with God. And so he becomes the son with a speech. I know what I'll do. I'll tell my father, I've sinned, I'm not worthy, so make me a hired servant. And he went home. But please understand, before he got home, Home came to him. I love verse 20. He arose, he came to his father. But when he was yet afar off, his father saw him. Please understand, you don't see somebody afar off unless you're looking. And he had compassion. And he ran. And he fell on his neck. And he kissed him. He had compassion on him. You know how often in the English language we use words and don't think about what they mean? I looked this up. Listen to this. Compassion, according to Webster, is the desire to relieve the suffering of another. Wow. That is your God. You know, I, I had a a situation. I don't know, maybe a year or two ago. I was driving down the road and I hit a little squirrel. And I just caught the back end of him. And you know, he's running off, dragging himself off. You know, and uh, I jumped out of the car to try to help him, because uh, that's what we do, right? And I was going to try to yes. scoop him up and take him to the vet, but he got in the bushes and wouldn't let me help him. Isn't that just like mankind? I wanted to help, but he wouldn't let me help. I wanted to relieve his suffering, but he wouldn't let me relieve his suffering. It's the nature of God. And what did this desire lead him to do? To run. Say that with me. What did God do? He ran. Say it again. He ran. Why do we do that? Because this is the only time in Scripture that we find God running, my friends. And we find Him not running to judgment, not running to war, but running to love. And who does He run to love? The one who has made Himself totally unlovable. Listen to me. Please listen to me. I don't care what you've done. I don't care how many times you've done it. I don't care who you did it with. I don't care when you did it. But I'm a Christian now. doesn't matter. You can run into the arms of your God because He is first running out to you. And the only reason you will not be in His arms is because you're running away from Him who's running after you. And He's running after you not to discipline you, but to love you if you would only have your eyes open to it. He loves the unlovely. When I had my eyes open to the love of God in 1989 and a good friend of mine had me work through a forgiveness list and I came up with about four and a half pages, single spaced, both sides, <laughs> brought the list in. He said, wow, it's a list. I said, yeah, but see, I, I was this theologian, you know, know about God instead of know God. And so I had made up a bunch of stuff in the beginning and then it was like the Holy Spirit just took over and I was like writing this stuff. You know, And he said, well, let me teach you how to walk through forgiveness. And I said, let's start at the top of the page. And I said, well, I've got to be honest with you. I was making stuff up. You know, like the time Julia broke up with me and she shouldn't have because I was a hunk and, you know, all this stuff. <laughs> and uh, he says, well, look at the page and see when the Holy Spirit, you think, really took over. And so I scoured down the list. And I went, ah! And he said, who is it? That is me. Before I could forgive anybody else, I had to forgive me for allowing the things in life that I had experienced to change me into an ugly human being. That was my fault. And I had to forgive me. I had to receive the love of God for even such an unlovely creature as myself. And enter into the love of a father who comes out to kiss him. And please understand, you might want to write this in your Bible. It means, the word means to kiss and kiss and kiss and kiss again. Press, come here, let me illustrate this. I love what Malcolm Smith said. He said, isn't it a great thing that God revealed himself to the Hebrews? This emotion and fervor and expression runs out to meet him and hugs him and kisses his neck all over. He said, "Because you imagine what it would be like if God had revealed himself through the British? You know? <laughs> I say, you're home. Good, good job. <laughs> you know, I would have totally missed it. So he, the father runs out and hugs him and kisses him and kisses him and kisses him. And, kisses him and, and so what happens? He pulls out his speech. And the son said to the father, look at this, verse 21, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight. And he starts the speech. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And before he can finish his speech, the father stops him in mid-sentence as if to say, never, never, never will you say what you're about to say. What was he about to say? Make me your What? Never will you call yourself a slave. Never will you call yourself a servant. You are a son. You have always been a son. You will always be a son. That is your God. Where's the amen corner? Modern church. You know how we say amen in the modern church? Fortunately, God acknowledges that. And the father interrupts. And love does what it does. It loves. Look at this. And the father stops and said to his servants, Bring the robe. Put it on him. Put the ring on his hand. The shoes on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. Did you notice my what? Son. See? What he did did not determine who he was. That is one of the biggest lies that has ever been sold into humanity, that what you do determines who you are. I heard somebody do this once, and I liked it so much I stole it. So I went to the campus of LSU one day, and I was teaching, and I hate platforms, so I jumped off the platform. And I came down, and you should have seen these college kids. Whoa, you know, this doesn't happen. I said, hi, who are you? He said, I'm not asking you. (laughs) The people you have to work with in ministry. You know, Howard Hendricks said the ministry would be a great profession if it weren't for people. All right. So I come to this kid and I say, who are you? And he says, I'm Kayla. And I said, who are you, Kayla? And he said, uh, I'm an engineering student. I said, oh, okay. Who are you? He said, I'm Susie. I said, who are you, Susie? I'm a nursing student. Oh, and who are you? I'm Eric and I'm a Campus Crusade staffer. And, and who are you? And I went to this about ten times and I said, I thought I was on a college campus. And they're all looking at me. As on college campuses, you're supposed to have people that are smart. I know what it is. You're not smart, and you're coming here to get smart. And they're all looking at me. And I said, don't you understand? I've asked you a question. Not a one of you has answered it. I keep asking you who you are. You keep telling me what you do. What's the matter with you people? Don't you know who you are? It's exactly your problem. You think you are what you do. Kaylin, stand up. Bark. What? I said, bark. Like a dog? Uh, not a cat. LSU, we're known for football, you know. So I said, yeah, like a dog. So he tries to be cute with me. He says, well, do you want a chihuahua or a German shepherd? So I said, just bark. So he goes, ruff, ruff. I said, son, did that make you a dog? He says, No. I said, it's not what the girls you've been dating have told me. (laughs) Got it. Teach them to mess with me. Barking did not make you a dog. I love what Keith Green used to say. Sitting in McDonald's won't make you a hamburger. It's not what you do that determines who you are. You're a son. You always have been a son, and I'm going to treat you like a son. Look what love loves. It covers with the best robe. It restores with the signet ring. It conceals shoes. Listen, let me just go over these real quick. We're running out of time the robe. He covers him up. Why? So nobody will know where he goes. He puts the shoes. The only people who went bare feet were slaves. What's the father saying? Nobody's son is going to know where you have been. Please understand this about your God. If you will bring into the light to him, no one else ever needs to know. The only reason somebody's going to know is because you told them. That's your God. Now there are some things that need to be brought into the light, need to be said. Let the Holy Spirit lead you in that. But He conceals, He protects, He covers. He gives him the signet ring. I wouldn't have done this with my boy. My boy come back, spent blow all his money. I'd have set him up on a budget. Father says, Here's the ring, take the rest. What's he saying when he says that? I love this. I trust you, James. Isn't that awesome? I trust you. Incredible. And then love rejoices. And they began to be merry. Notice that? Began. Holy Spirit plus truth plus time. It takes a while to learn to receive this love takes a while to learn to rejoice in it. And I love this next verse. Look at it, please. Look in your Bible. I want you to see it for yourself. What does the son say next? What's he say? Next verse. What did he say? Did you see it? Did you see it? He doesn't say what? Anything. He is the silent son. Why? Listen, hear the words. He has been devastated by the love of God. And all he can do is sit in silence at the awe, the wonder, the greatness of this God who loves him for free. Real quickly, there is another brother. Brother. He draws near, but not to rejoice. Verse 27, I've served you all these years. I never transgressed. I never even got a kid from you, Father. The whole idea here is he performed poorly and he gets to receive. I performed greatly and I haven't received. And the father in dismay says, oh, son, all I have is yours. All you had to do was ask and it was yours. I love Juan Ortiz. Wanderjee says, son, all I have is yours. If you didn't take a kid, it's because you're stupid. (laughs) The man was so right, he was wrong. Real quickly, let's run through this, Linda. He's the guy you want for a neighbor, this elder brother. He'll keep his yard clean. He'll even take care of your yard. But you don't want him as a friend because he doesn't know how to love. He's so busy trying to earn it, he can never receive it. And so what do we say? How do we appropriate this? We don't read this passage, my friends. We don't study this passage. We experience it. Put yourself in the pages, my friends. We are all like the younger. We've all done things that if they were brought into the light right now, we'd want to run out of the room. Stop hiding. Stop running into the gazillion watt light of soft love and receive we're all like the older trying to perform and earn the love of God which cannot be earned I don't know if you've ever thought about this but you can no more earn that which can only be given than you can try to get in a room that you're already in press get in the room right now get in this room You'll drive yourself nuts because you're going to be trying to look outside for what is already inside. You see, you can't earn the love of God. You're going to be looking out for what's already there and you'll never find it. We need a revelation of ourselves. We need a revelation of the Father. We need to come home because he's waiting. He's waiting with his robe of righteousness, with his rings of riches, with his shoes of sonship. So that the party can begin. Tonight, we're going to look at a father. We're going to look at perceptions of God. I can't be dogmatic about this, but there's something I want you to see from Luke 15. Because I think, it, it, I think it's true. I really do. I believe it's true. Luke 15 begins with the good shepherd. With, who is who? Who's the good shepherd? Jesus. Then we go to the woman who finds the coin. The seeker finder. Who's that about? I think that's about the Holy Spirit. And then we find lastly the prodigal father. Isn't that a parallel of the Christian life? We begin with Jesus. Then in our Christian life we learn about the Holy Spirit. And how to walk in him. But the ultimate end of our walk is to be introduced to a father. That's what we're going to see tonight. I hope you'll be here. I love the Father's words, and we'll end here. We must party. You might want to circle that word in your Bible. It is D-E-I, Dei, the strongest imperative in the Greek language. We must absolutely, by necessity, have to party. I love that. So let the party begin. Your Father is already partying, my friends. It's just an issue of whether or not we're going to join Him. The Lord your God, Dennis, has repeatedly brought before us. is a mighty God. It's got to start there. It's not the Lord your God is a wimp. He is a mighty God. This mighty God leaps in the air and spins around rejoicing over you. You know, everybody talks about that, but nobody gives the word picture. May I? Dennis! 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 That's your God! Father, our Father, we have been given such faulty pictures of you. It's time we let you speak for yourself. It's hard for us sometimes in our finite minds to ponder a mighty God who rules the universe dancing, leaping in the air, spinning around, When his eyes are upon us. That we are actually the cause of the dance. That is hard for us, Father. We need your Holy Spirit to break through our finite minds. And communicate this love to our hearts. So that the love received can be love released. So that the cups can be poured into so they can pour out. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you would show us your dance. So that we can dance with you. So be it.